0: Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we'll discuss the consequences of the fall. Last week, we discussed the choice Adam and Eve had in the garden and the two different systems of living represented by the two trees. This week, we will discuss what happened to humanity as a result of that sinful choice and how sin has affected all of us but first, 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This verse gives us a glimpse into what happened to humanity at the fall. Namely, we all died in Adam. So we will look to answer what it means for humanity to be born dead and how we have experienced that death in our lives. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and here we go. Joining me today is Connie Brezina. Hello. And Bo Brezina. Hello. And Ben Brezina. Hey, Ross. It's a family affair today. We have mom and two sons. You guys doing okay today? I know. Mom's in here. She's going to keep us honest. (laughs) That's right. Awesome. All right. Well, 1 Corinthians is talking about the problem that occurred at the fall, where Adam disobeyed God by eating the fruit, which brought about death. Um, But what that death means is important for us to understand. So in what ways did Adam and Eve... And for that matter, all of humanity die in that moment. Bo, why don't I start with you?
1: Well, I think when I think of the death that it's talking about, we have to make sure that we understand the context. It's not the death of like the dinosaurs that are dead and gone. Mm. It's more of the idea of the absence of something, the absence of life. Of course, since Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we know that it's really talking about the absence of his life. Mm. So that's really, I think, important to understand and keep in focal point is there was no sharing in the life of God. That was the death
0: that they were talking about. Can you give an example of how something can be alive but have the absence of life? Is there a good example that you have?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously, in the physical world, we don't really think of that because either the cat is alive or the cat Mm -hmm. is dead. I mean, it's either animated or it's not animated. And here we have the option. Obviously, Adam and Eve were animated still. Mm -hmm. They were having children. They were talking and walking and making decisions. There was just no life-giving. The energy of the life of God living in them was not being manifested. So I guess maybe you could talk about a light bulb. You can still see the glass. You can still see the filament there's just nothing coming out of it Mm -hmm. and so maybe that would be an example of it still exists it just does not shine forth with its intended purpose
2: i think in the fall too there's definitely the aspect of the physical as well and of course god sustains all our life he sustains our physical life he sustains our whole spiritual life he is that life in order to be animated, we have to be connected to the great animator, which there's only one. He's the one that sustains everything by the power of his will. So in a sense, Adam and Eve died, the spiritual aspect, which is both saying cut Mm -hmm. off from his life, but also they began the process, their bodies began decaying. And that Mm -hmm. was part of the curse was their bodies are going to return to dust. Our bodies are returning to dust. So there's that aspect too, although it wasn't what we talk about in Uh the day. That's what God said. In the day that you eat, you'll die. And that we know they didn't drop over physically. That right. was God's grace and mercy. But yeah. there's something happened inside them. The life left, the glory left.
1: Yeah. And we know, I mean, even though we can't see it, we know that stress does things to our physical body, to Ben's point. Sure. You know, high blood pressure mm. and muscle tension and All of that was an aspect of that death Mm. that began, even though, like Ben said, they didn't drop over immediately.
0: And Connie, what perspective would you give as to how we can better understand the death that humanity experienced at the fall?
3: Well, I think in my own life, and I may be jumping the gun here, but I think in my own life, I can look back in days before I knew Christ and motives... You Mm -hmm. know, motives changed in the heart. Mm -hmm. They changed in the heart of Adam and Eve, and they've continued on to this day. And I look back, as a young person, I tried to do a lot of things good because I was trying to gain approval, but the motives were not right
0: there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there's a verse in Ezekiel that said that they had a heart of stone and God had to change that. But that means that Mm -hmm. that was something else that died the moment the fall happened was their hearts were made to, you know, not physical stone, of course, but spiritual stone.
1: Well, that's an excellent point about Ezekiel's prophecy about the heart, the heart of stone. It even affected the death, affected their emotions. I think they started experiencing fear. And John says that perfect love casts out fear, and that's life, mm-hmm. you know, cast out fear. Well, yep. with the absence of life, you're controlled or dominated or overshadowed by that fear. And we saw that that was an aspect of the death on a psychological or a emotional type of level yeah. that also that they experienced. And even in their thinking, the Bible talks about the heart being darkened, and so that's another, their thinking is also affected by that death, even though they're still able to process thought, obviously reason, and it's just dominated without a connection to life. It's dominated by that darkness, that fear.
2: Paul talks about the death in Ephesians. In chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about being dead in your trespasses and sins. That's another aspect of it. We know that the wages of sin is death, Paul says. And so there's this idea that it's a spiritual death, but it has ramifications in our physical body, in our emotions, in our soul, as Bo was saying. And I think sin always has that effect.
3: And I think carrying on with that verse, God used Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 in a powerful way in my life because... I had to come to a point where I realized I never put myself in that category. That's a nasty place. Mm -hmm. Children of wrath, dead in their trespasses and sins. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to be a good person. But again, it was all the wrong motives. And so we were actually memorizing that portion of scripture one time as a family. And I remember God spoke to my heart and he said, your selfishness and your pride It's just as bad as my husband's drinking or profanity was Mm. before he came to Christ. Mm. And it brought me to tears. And I think, again, it's the motives and recognizing that there was no good thing in me Mm. without Christ.
0: Even though you were trying to do all the right things. (laughs) Yeah.
3: You know, I mean,
1: I think that's Jesus's audience. That's why he talks about being a slave to sin. He whoever practices sin is a slave to sin, and that's an aspect of the death, that there's no life that can free a person from motives that are sinful as as part of being in an And
3: enemy. I think we all try to do the best we can to meet our needs. Mm-hmm. And I know we're probably going to get into that later, but before they were looking to God for everything. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, now it's up to me. Yeah. I remember when I was like nine years old and there was this little boy in our neighborhood and he was so mean to all the kids. Mm-hmm. He would shoot a water gun at us when we rode our bicycle mm-hmm. by. And I remember at, lunch one day, he went inside to eat lunch and he left his water gun on the fence. And so I went over there and I threw it in the trash can.
1: Mom, (laughs) I never knew that story.
3: (laughs) And you know, Scripture says your sin will find you out. And so my mother, the mother of that little boy came over and asked my mother if I knew anything about it. And so I had to confess. And of course, I got the lecture, don't <laughs> steal. But, you know, it's just me taking it into my own hands mm. and doing what I thought was best.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, because we've talked about the, how we've been designed. And so we're three parts and we've touched on each one of them, spirit, soul and body. But, you know, it's it, the fall was an all-encompassing death of all of those on some level. And I think we've touched on it all together, but how do you think that plays together as your entire being, your design, has been radically changed? What do you think that was like for Adam and Eve, and how do you think we experience that today as well? I think it was heartbreaking.
1: I mean... Shame is really what the Bible talks about. They were ashamed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is it's a death. And so I think they obviously were scrambling, desperately, mm-hmm. yeah. spinning through options. Okay, maybe it's the fig leaves, the physical, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe it's the relational. Maybe it's this woman that you gave me. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, maybe it's God. You, You're the one that put the woman or mm. the woman said it was the serpent. And so I think they're just spinning desperately. It's like a free fall. It's like jumping out, playing without a parachute. we got to figure out how to make this work. And so I think there was obviously uh, had to be a heartbreaking, shocking
2: fear. Yeah, the The other aspect is fear there. It's the shame and the fear. And that's still so prevalent in our world today, both shame and fear. I think it's permeating. And there's a prevalent sense in... Who knows there, but I imagine it was there because they knew what they had lost. But this whole idea of something's broken, something's not right, and I think it still pervades our world today. We see all the hatred all the murders and the raping and the abuse and all the stuff that's going on even on the level of famine and stuff i mean there's just so much that Mm -hmm. you would ask the average person and say it's not supposed to be Mm -hmm. like this maybe they don't know what it's supposed to be like but there's a sense in all of us i think that sees that and says this is not right and i think that's what they started feeling at Mm -hmm. that moment i mean especially The fear aspect, the fear of each other, the fear of God, and then they're searching for solutions, hiding, trying to make clothes for themselves and cover. The
1: anxiety, I mean, our our society is plagued with anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I personally, you know, the first spoken words in the Bible by Adam that are recorded in the Bible are after the fall. He says, I was afraid. Mm -hmm. And I think what was happening is he was looking into his future, because fear is always future oriented. He was looking into the future saying, I don't know if I'm going to get my needs met. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know whatever's going to happen in the future if I'm capable of meeting my own needs, you know, because I've got to figure this out. And so what is left is this sense of constant anxiety and fear. And then I think, I mean, we have no evidence of this with Adam, but we see it throughout our culture is depression eventually hits, whereas this is hopeless. Mm -hmm. I'll never get my needs met or I'm helpless. I can't change the world enough my own personal world in order to get my needs met the way I think it should happen. And so I think this was a desperate moment of humanity's existence.
3: Well, you see that in Cain too. He was downcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was kind of hopeless, I think. And he took matters into his own hands. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, in my own personal experience, being born in Adam or in the spiritual death, again, you look around you, it's maybe not conscious, but you look around you subconsciously and you look at people, how they're trying to get their needs met, and you start adopting some of those. And I know I did that with my mother. Mm -hmm. I have some of her same flesh meeting needs Mm -hmm. are trying to get the needs met and my grandmother as well Mm, yeah and i would just have to say i didn't i never told my sons you need to get your needs met the way i do it in my flesh (laughs) (laughs) but they've adopted some of my flesh patterns as well
0: The word I think that we've used a lot is desperate. You know, I think that as the fall occurred, there was a desperation to get back what they had lost, what had died, um, and I think that is prevalent today. And you know, I think of all the topics we've gone over so far: our concept of God, our needs being met by Him, our design that's been given to us by Him, our purpose that's been given to Him to us by Him. All of these things are now broken. We don't understand our purpose. We don't understand how we're designed. Our design is broken now, and I think that it affects us as humans on such a level that there is an innate desperation inside of us where we are looking for an answer that um, there's only one solution to. And so along those lines, you guys have experienced either living by your flesh, as Connie said, or living spiritually dead before you were saved, what was that experience like for you? How did that impact you at the time?
1: Well, I, you know, I was saved at a very young age, I received salvation, but I didn't understand that aspect of salvation. So what that was like would be in times where I was not aware of that. I was desperately, there's the word, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was desperately trying to find a sense of security of love and acceptance and one example of that was i have people pleasing flesh which is kind of a means of getting worth and value through people mm. keeping them happy yeah. and mom and ben can attest to this but like if i did anything wrong they had what I was called a sensitive conscience, is mm. what, what the phrase was. Mm, yeah. But basically the way it worked was this. I cannot live with myself if I don't feel right. Mm. And so if I even think I did anything that could conceivably be wrong, I've got to get your forgiveness to prove that I am right. I'm acceptable still. And so what was meant to be a overflow of the life of Christ, because he's the gifted us righteousness, I have to be proven right through other people, external means mm. of acceptance. If that makes yeah, sense, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I would be asking them forgiveness for things they didn't even know I did, or <laughs> maybe I didn't even really do anything that would have offended them, but I was worried about it, and so I, it was desperate. It was an external source. It was focused on them, and that is it's soul sucking. You know, yeah. it's trying to get life out of another person. Really, is what it is.
0: What was your emotional so, experience like? when you were living that way? Oh, it's fearful, it's nervous, it's
1: stressed, it's anxious, it's Mm. tired. It's, yeah, I don't know, anything other negative (laughs) type of heavy type of emotion that you can imagine. But, yeah, I mean, you never feel secure, you never feel safe. It's always dependent on the next thing you do or you say. It's always dependent on either your behavior or someone else's approval of that, and you have to get those needs met. And so at that point in my life, I didn't know – how to tap into the real source of life. And that was how it was. Hmm.
2: I think, you know, one thing about being dead is it's completely self-centered. So whether it's trying to be good, like mom was saying, or trying to just live for pleasure, but it self-dominates your thinking. And I remember some of my early memories, everything comes through a grid Um, of how is this going to impact me? And is this going to work out well for me? Or is it, you know, what happens if I get marginalized to towards my brothers? What if they get something that I don't have? Or what if they can do something better than I can? Sure. It's not about them, it's about me. And so that's really the mindset of of a person that's dead is it's completely self-absorbed. And you may not be able to observe that if they're doing kind deeds for other people, like what mom was saying. But underlying that motive is always... I'm getting something out of this. I'm confessing my sins in order to feel okay about myself as Bo was saying. And so that's a grid that we all come into. And so even though from an early age, I was saved and had, I believe had the Holy Spirit's presence and speaking to me and impacting me at the same time, a lot of my early years was simply focusing on self and trying to get my needs met, you know, to the detriment of my brothers Mm. and I remember mom you can probably share stories about how we didn't get along at times and you had to put your foot down trying to (laughs) make us get along but all that is is just self-centeredness and I see it in my own kids even this morning and how they were relating it is completely that mindset of only myself and what's this person doing to me and Mm. how they're encroaching in my space or taking my stuff Mm. you know
3: And I will just say that one of my biggest regrets is along that same line. My daddy had a heart attack when I was 16, and he lived a year, but he never fully recovered because his heart was so damaged. Mm. And I remember I was probably 17, senior in high school, and mother had to go to work because daddy couldn't work at the time he was ill. And I remember I was complaining about washing the dishes and he was sitting in there in the yeah. kitchen and telling me I should have a good attitude. And, you know, as a parent and now a grandparent, I can look back and think, here was my dad. His heart was broken that mother was having to go to work. And then his daughter was complaining and I was totally self-absorbed about me being mm. selfish, not wanting to wash the dishes. And that's a good example of life without Christ, yeah. even though I went to church and tried to do good things, right? Yeah. But it was those motives again.
1: Yeah. Bill Gillum in his book, Lifetime Guaranteed, says that when we arrive on the planet, we draw a, a giant circle around ourselves mm-hmm. and we re- declare ourselves Lord of the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the circle is the ring and the, and it's all about, like Ben and Mom have said, it's about me and Getting my needs met, and we see that and play with Adam, you know. Yeah,
0: and that kind of lifestyle, so when, or that kind of mentality where it's all about me. How has that affected the people around you? I don't know if there's times in your life where you can pinpoint, like Connie just did, where I acted this way, and how it impacted those around me. Because the fall also, although it makes us view the our view of ourselves as just I'm selfish, it has reverberating effects. It affects everybody within our circle of you know, our community, and so I just wondered if there was ways that you could see how your community was affected by you living that way. Well, you end up using people,
1: even Mm. if you're doing something good. Like I give, you know, I ask for forgiveness. That's great, right? Um, But I'm I'm using them because if they don't respond well, then I'll have to uh, get them to somehow change their opinion of me. And so that's not very loving, even though it's not, I'm not like hitting them or, yeah. you know, doing something, I'm not cussing them out mm-hmm. or what many people would say is an abusive type of language. Mm-hmm. It's still a means of using, you're using others and people who get used don't feel loved. Um, so that's one way that I would say that it affects other people. And even I have another form of ways of trying to get life apart from God was performance based acceptance. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, it makes people's life around me maybe easier in a in a degree, especially like mom and dad. They didn't have to discipline me a ton or, you know, mm-hmm. lay down the law, so to speak. But yet it's constantly looking to others for approval and that's a way of manipulating them and trying to get something out of them. Yeah.
0: And do you remember a specific time where either as a kid or even now as a father where you have done that where it's been manipulating those around you to make yourself feel right. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, th- these are really subtle things. Mm. Um, so the subtle thing that comes to mind is, is when I do something as a child, I would perform it to a sub- certain level and they have lots of responsibilities and lots of things on their mind, right? Yeah. And if they don't respond in the way, in approval or kind words to me, then I feel uh, frustrated with them. Mm. But I don't even know why I'm frustrated with them <laughs> because at that point I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And so these are real subtle ways, and that frustration creeps into all sorts of different conversations and Mm -hmm. how I interact. But as a father, I see it very clearly when, you know, someone doesn't respond to one of the kids the way they want them to respond. Mm -hmm. I call it amping it up, you know? (laughs) It goes from a mildly strong statement to a stronger, to a huge demand, to screaming, Mm -hmm. you know? And God forbid, you know, (laughs) (laughs) physical action. (laughs) And those are ways of trying, demanding, and trying to control and manipulate in very obvious ways. Of course, it's easy to look at other people and say that, you know, see that and and say that about them. But I've seen it in my own life.
2: You know, one of the parts about being dead is this relational aspect with God. And there's only one person that we were made for to be satisfied. And so there's a sense of dissatisfaction, almost a sense of unease too. And I can definitely remember that and not feeling comfortable with myself, but going into friendships and situations where completely focused on myself and how other people perceive me, Hmm. and it just generates more awkwardness And you can't build the relationships that you want, that you think you need, you know. And so that aspect of death is just really difficult. It's, I mean, so many aspects of sin and death, but that for me was, was really difficult. That sense of there's something wrong with me and just completely analyzing myself and just completely consumed with thoughts about myself, even if it wasn't like a egotistical projection of that it was still pride because I'm completely focused on myself and what I have going on mm. and there's definitely that aspect for me and uh, Jesus really tags into that aspect of of life being connected to the father in that relationship and that's was really broken you can see it in Adam he All of a sudden, he thought God was going to destroy him. And I mean, how can you have a relationship with somebody that is going to destroy you? And so now you have that dissatisfaction or emptiness feeling. And I could see that in my life, even after I was saved, because I wasn't believing what I had in Christ or didn't even know, Mm -hmm. didn't have a relationship in the sense of that daily communion.
0: Yeah. And Connie, I put you on the spot a little bit here with this question, mm-hmm. but did, how did you see in your sons their attempts to, or their their actions of their selfish actions and how it affected the community around them and the family? How did you see that in them produced in their lives? Oh yeah,
3: um,
1: mom, oh, mom is on the you know, on the spot. <laughs> you know, we, we can talk about our other two brothers that aren't here. <laughs> sure, right? he yeah, we'll <laughs> just <laughs> talk. We'll just them, talk yeah. about them.
3: Well. I often say that, you know, some families, I think there are some families out there that people just naturally get get along and don't Mm -hmm. have any conflicts. But I can say that ours was not one of those (laughs) because we have four very competitive sons. Our oldest three are the closer together. The fourth is six years younger than the third. Yeah. So a lot of competition. But even as a young Christian, I just I didn't like that. And I had one brother and I did some things to him that was, again, selfish and unkind. And I had to go back and ask his forgiveness after I became a Christian. And I was just so convicted of that with our boys. And so we met together with a missionary couple that had five children serving the Lord all over the world. Mm. And I asked him one of the questions we, we asked him a lot of questions, my husband and I, and I asked him, what did you do when your children didn't get along? And he just said, matter of factly, well, we just never allowed that. (laughs) And I thought, well, that's an interesting comment. Yeah. (laughs) So I went home very convicted that we were gonna work on that. I don't know if you boys remember, but I remember saying, God has shown me that we are going to work on getting along and if it takes a hundred spankings and their eyes <laughs> got really big <laughs>
0: Like Bose just did. <laughs>
3: Uh, in that first day, I was sorely tested. I think there were there was a good bit of discipline, but mm. uh, but that's something we worked on. We didn't do it perfectly. Sure. and we, there were some mess, mix ups, but yes, there was flesh there. And but I think that's, I think somebody said it before Ben. Maybe it's dying to self, and that's part of the process of growing.
1: Mm. But I mean, it, without life, you're going to affect other people. I remember when I was in high school, I um, had a back injury and could no longer play the sport of my choice, which I had found a lot of worth and value and strength and stuff from. Mm-hmm.
0: Ski ball, right? Yeah, ski ball. Right. Man, I was a <laughs> champion. <laughs>
1: Watch out those tokens. <laughs> and I, it affected because I was finding life there, I could no longer get, even I, I couldn't receive other people's compassion for me i remember this old little old lady comes up to me at church and says oh you're too young to have these back issues and i wanted to slap her i mean mm-hmm. i didn't no God, sure. <laughs> that, that would have been newsworthy i'm sure but i couldn't receive other people's compassion mm-hmm. because i was looking externally for life if, if that makes yeah, sense for sure. and it, that's how it ripples into the community
3: i'll just say too as a I mentioned earlier that I'd picked up some flesh patterns from my mother and grandmother, and one of those was worrying. We had several people in our family that worried a lot, and I just I remember in my early twenties defining myself as I'm just a worrier, and that's my lot in life. Mm. And it it definitely affected. Like Greg, Greg would fly around. He was playing football then. He would fly around on this little jet to in the south to speak to different christian groups and i just hated that when he did and i'm sure i was anxious and i probably i can't remember all the details but i probably encouraged him not to go (laughs) as much as he wanted to but he could tell that anxious people worry people that worry i won't say anxious people because i later found out praise god that i am not a worrier. I am a child of God who is tempted to worry. I can still choose to worry, but I'm not a worrier. Hmm. And that has been very freeing to me, but it definitely did affect people around me.
0: So we've talked about the ways that the fall and the consequences of it have impacted us. And one of those is, as Connie was saying, you know, we, we learn to try to get our needs met apart from God or our flesh. But what aspects of the fall and the consequences therein challenge you the most? What part do you find difficult to understand or that have you still continue to wrestle with in your own life as to how it has affected you or how you understand it or what parts of the fall challenge you?
1: Well, in the Living in Jesus, uh, this particular chapter, it talks about how all are born into Adam, mm-hmm. and so they all inherit his, we all inherited his spiritual nature. Yep. And that offends the Western sense of self-determination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right, in, yeah. in other words, how could that be? I didn't do anything, and I still am born into Adam. Yep. You know, I think that's one of the, I see here that probably... Ripple through various conversations I have with people over the years about this, but yet the scriptures teach it, and that's hard to grasp. How could someone who hasn't, you know, just shows up on the planet, how that could they be born into Adam's sinful lineage? Yeah, we think we earn things based on our behavior, and so if the baby hasn't sinned, how could they be a sinner? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a that's a challenging. Part of the scriptural teaching, uh, you know, through one man all died. Now, fortunately, the grace message is beautiful that through Christ's work, all can become alive. But that is one of the challenges of, of thinking about this to me.
2: Mm-hmm. And It flows from the idea that God wanted to partner with humans to fill the earth and with his glory. He didn't create billions of people himself, clay molds and breed life. He, want, he created Adam and fashioned Eve and invited them with his life to multiply and be fruitful. And so we get all of that. We get the, the dead spirit, but we also get the bad genetics from our parents too, you know, and it's passed down. We get more than just the spiritual aspects, but that's a part of the, it, it would have worked well, mm. had Adam and Eve kept depending. But as soon as they decided to go against God and define good and evil for themselves, it, mm. everything broke the whole system that God created. But it is hard, especially, you know, we want to be responsible for our own life, as Bo says, in the flesh. And um, that seems like it's out of our control. But the fact of the matter is, is from an early age, we've all sinned also. So it's a kind of a moot point. Mm
3: -hmm. I tell you what, this session to me was so eye opening. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to sit in today was, you know, all those words were tossed around. I had heard Flesh. I had heard the law of sin or the principle of sin or the body of sin and and this terminology that's used in this section, but I didn't really understand what that meant, and I didn't understand the battle and the struggle and the victory that is ours in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it really has been eye-opening to me, first of all, that we're no longer slaves to sin, and I may be jumping ahead here, but... But when we're all still tempted by the enemy and we're tempted to be in the flesh and to be able to recognize those lies and uh, reject them in the name of Jesus and replace them with truth, that is liberating. And I don't, I think if I didn't understand what that all meant, and not that I understand it totally, obviously, but to the degree I do, then I can walk in victory. And I can not only walk in victory, but I can share that with other people and watch them walk in victory. And that's encouraging.
0: Is there an aspect of the fall or its consequences that still challenges you, that's still maybe unclear or that daily you have to be reminded of that truth within that?
3: Well, I think just the fact that I mean, I don't know if the word is challenge, but I mean, it is a challenge to walk in the spirit Mm. and not in the flesh and be aware of that. Really, it's moment by moment. One of my prayers is, Lord, help me to be quick to recognize the lies of the enemy Mm. So that I can uh, reject those when I do recognize and walk in the truth. And so, in we've had, I've had something in the last few months that has been heavy on my heart, and I just felt the enemy was coming on hot and heavy, and it was just a constant. But it's a standing strong and knowing who we are because we do have the victory. And I'm getting into another session, but it all starts with flesh. Well, that's good (laughs) because
0: what what you're talking about is the lies of the enemy. That's obviously what caused the fall, right? And so we can still experience that and give into that today. And that is part of the consequences of the fall is that we are open to and can entertain his lies. And so absolutely, that is a challenge every
2: day another big issue that i think is difficult and a lot of people struggle with this and it has to do with our concept of god and that's um god's knowing everything and his sovereignty his Scripture's clear that he knows the beginning from the end and the book of revelation shows us that god already knows how it's going to be wrapped and so you look at that and you say man all the suffering and all the devastating effects of sin why did god create in the first place, and, and it can be easy to start questioning God, and those are some deep issues with the fall, too, I think, mm. that are that are struggling. It's good to wrestle through that and see, I, I mean, in some aspects, we'll never understand the mind of God, but what we know through Scripture is that God had a contingency plan for the fall, and that was his plan all along, was for Christ mm. and for himself to come and bear and go through all the devastation and experience the the pain and the grief and the loss and the physical suffering and all the things we face because of sin. And to uh, taste that himself in order to restore us back to Eden. I mean, really, that's the story of the whole Bible is we want to get back to paradise where we enjoy intimacy with God and there's abundance and and no pain and freedom from temptation and all that stuff. And God's already got a plan for that. And his goodness is seen in that, even though the devastation of sin touches us all.
3: And you know what? The longer I counsel, the more I recognize that verse when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was and it goes back to what ben was saying on the concept of god the first one the greatest is love god with all your heart mind soul and strength that's our concept of god and if that's skewed in any way it's going to affect everything we do every relationship Mm -hmm. we're in and i just see it in my own life when i'm fearful or anxious i'm not trusting god i'm Mm -hmm. not believing that he is Faithful, and yeah. it affects everything we do. Mm-hmm. It's so important.
1: It's an important concept to wrestle with. This whole idea of God giving him that choice. It's almost I've heard this as I've talked about this kind of concept of the consequences of the fall, or the last session of the two trees, which obviously go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. It's yep. how can a loving God, you know, give him that choice to knowing what was going to come. Yep it's almost like we would love to have the freedom to choose God and enjoy all his benefits, but don't give us the choice to reject you. And exp- We can't have true choice without mm-hmm. it, and yet wrestling with that, without a f- correct concept of God, you will get askew mm-hmm. real quickly. Yeah. And just because I'm born into Adam's family does not mean that God doesn't still love me. Sure. And that's another important factor. God loves us because of what Ben was talking about. Revealed through Christ, um, it, it just because we were born in a family, God's family, doesn't mean that He wasn't the author of our life, you know, our existence, so to speak. Um, and so, those are hard things to wrestle with, and and important things to sort out about the concept of who He is and His goodness as we wrestle with the consequences.
0: You know, we've we've described the consequences as separation from God. That um, we're spiritually, soulistically, in body, we're we're dying or beginning to die or decaying as in our body. So there's a lot of ramifications. One of those being that we're no longer have the animating or life of God living inside of us, but now we're in Adam's family. We're born spiritually dead, apart from God. And then comes Jesus, right? And so there's all these problems. There's the problem of our sin, but then there's also the actions we do, but also our nature and who we are spiritually that he has to fix. So because of those consequences, what does Jesus' finished work on the cross communicate to you? And how does that clarify who Jesus is and make you draw closer to him?
2: You know, John paints a beautiful picture. He, he does, uses a lot of contrast in his Gospels, light and mm-hmm. darkness and... Yeah and uh, life and death, but one thing that's clear through John's Gospel is that Jesus came to provide us a way back to the Father, and uh, that's the whole Hmm. John 3, 16. Uh, No one comes to the Father, but it's not about some golden palace in the sky getting it someday, it's coming back into that relationship, and in fact, John describes Jesus praying that life is knowing Father, knowing ah. you, is eternal life for us. Mm. And that's the hope, is getting back into that right relationship where mm. the nearness of God is my good, yep. says in the Psalms. And there's also the idea that Gideon discovered when he met the uh, manifested presence of God, that God is peace or shalom, mm. a sense of, of wellness and wholeness and and health and inner rest, all these things. And that's what Jesus provides for us. He entered into our death so that we could enter back into that life right now. Mm.
1: For me, I think, you know, the scriptures say that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, of course, without sin, it says. And I think for me, he knew what it meant to thirst. Yeah. Of course, he always went to the Father to satiate those thirsts. Yeah. But I think it brings this beautiful... Realization that he has walked on this earth with these needs. Of course, he was the only one without a sin nature yeah. and, until he died on the cross and brought us into salvation with him. And he says, just it brings into in clear focus when he stands up on the last day of that, that festival in Jerusalem and says, Anyone who thirsts, come to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and rivers of living water will flow from your innermost being. It's just phenomenal when you think about the death that he came and witnessed, and of course he had needs too, and he went to the Father always, but I think it just brings this understanding of compassion, of presence, of provision, of experience, all the things that him becoming flesh knowing our mortal frame, so to speak, and the challenges of what it means to be needy. And then he also had this compassion. Mm. He has people that are in obvious paths of sin, and he doesn't condemn them mm. because they're coming to him. Uh, I'm thinking of the the woman caught in adultery mm-hmm. and brought before him or some of the uh, the lady at the well that had multiple husbands. Mm-hmm. And uh, because he had this abundance topped into the father he models compassion and and so we just see this beautiful real life example of christ among us god living out of that fullness rivers of living water and he says that same fullness is in you and so it brings Mm. this uh, really a an awe and a gratitude and a magnificent praise within me for him
2: and it helps me to kind of reconcile this idea of him knowing about the fall to know that his plan all along was to come and experience the same pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was crushed, and it was prophesied by Isaiah, all the things that he was going to have to go through. He bruised and, and crushed and afflicted, and mm-hmm. he bore our griefs. Mm-hmm. And everything that we experience, God planned to go through it himself mm-hmm. in, as a human being, and in order to take that, and rise victorious when he rose from the grave. So mm-hmm. that to me is shows his love, shows his heart, yeah. and there's a reconciliation with inside me as I reflect on that, that yes, he took the risk, created us, and he knew that we were gonna fall, but he also said, I'm gonna take the heavy weight here, I'm gonna do the heavy lifting, so that you can be mm-hmm. and I can be restored. Mm-hmm.
3: And I think we go back to that verse that we talked about earlier in Ephesians 2 1 through 3, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Mm -hmm. children of wrath, even as the rest. And I can't even read that without going on to verse 4 and 5. And it's talking about God's plan. And of course, Jesus is that plan, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ Mm. Jesus. And so that just shows me God's love. God is good. And we have to not just know that, but we have to choose to believe that. Mm. And I've had instances in my own life And one was when my granddaughter had a malignant brain cancer. And my first thought was, Lord, why would you let that happen to this precious little girl? Mm. And my next thought was, God, you are good. And that hasn't changed. Mm. This doesn't look good. I don't like it, but you're good, Father, and I'm going to trust that you are going to cause all this to work mm-hmm. together for our good. And he did that. He made it possible through Jesus. That was his plan.
0: You know, what a beautiful picture of you know how God can redeem anything. We've talked a lot about the consequences of sin and how it affects all of us, even daily, even though we're now new and have Christ living in us, we still can choose to experience that death. And just thinking about God's work on the cross and what he did, how he redeemed us, his great love for us. It just reminds me of Romans eight twenty-eight that he's gonna use everything in our lives for our good. Obviously, because we love him, but also because of just showing how much he loves us. And just hearing you guys talk about it and just thinking of the breadth of what God has done to redeem us mm. is incomparable. It it can't be compared to, it's the best thing you could ever think about.
3: It makes you just want to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Exactly.
1: I think that's the understanding, the depths of the consequences, Mm -hmm. magnifies the incredible work of the cross, burial, and resurrection of Christ.
0: I agree. Well, guys, thank you so much for this discussion today. I really appreciate your thoughts, your stories, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening today. You can join us next week for episode seven. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week.
2: Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at the development of the flesh. We will discuss what the flesh is, how it's developed, and why it still continues to affect us all today. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children in how to build biblically healthy lives and families. You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all our free content is made available because of the generosity of people just like you from around the world. Until next week, thank you and God bless.